2, and, and uh, I want to basically flesh out a story that is found in the Bible uh, around 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 13. And I, I do believe, if, if time will permit me, there are some details I want to go into. But if time doesn't permit me, if I get carried away uh, maybe on one aspect of it, then I want to leave you with a principle. So tonight I'm going to at least preach a principle to you that will allow you to apply it to your life. And if God will allow and time will allow, I'll even get into some details on that principle. But uh, as you begin to read the Bible in a very systematic manner, you give yourself time for the Word of God to speak to you. And I know I, 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 I talk about this, I beat this until it's like a dead horse. I just keep beating over and over. But the Word of God is so important. And over the last year and a half, I have uh, revamped the way that I read the Bible and study the Bible. I don't want to just read and study the Bible because i got to preach three times a week sometimes. But I want to read and study the Bible so that God's Word speaks to me first. And if I get a sermon out of it later, that's great. But I want the Word of God to speak to me. And I, I, I told you uh, last year that I began to read a, a chapter of Proverbs a day and then I read a chapter of the Gospels a day. I read a chapter in the book of Acts every day and then a chapter in the rest of the New Testament, the epistles and Revelation. Uh, and then after I got through uh, all of that, I ended up reading Proverbs and Acts about four times. And then I read through the Gospels, I think, two and a half times. And then I read through the Epistles and Revelation one time. When I got done with that, I said, you know what, I want to take it a step further. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I just want you to know where I'm coming from. So I started reading, and I try every day to read a chapter uh, in, the, in the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. I read a chapter in the history uh, that, that, that follows that I read a chapter in the poetry books That's like the book of Job and Psalms and Proverbs Ecclesiastes, things of that nature And then I read a chapter in the minor, major prophets A chapter in the minor prophets And then a chapter in the gospels A chapter in Acts A chapter uh, in the epistles Well, you know, it's amazing When you do that How uh, much the Bible begins to tie into each other I'll read something in the history. That's, if you will, that's First, Second Samuel. That's First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Those stories. And then invariably, when I get over the major, the minor prophets, guess what? Something I read there tags back to what I read. And I think that's just the way God uh, says, "I want you to know my Bible is real. My word is real." When you do that, you tend to find stories that you don't think about a lot. Everybody knows David and Goliath. Everybody knows. Daniel and the three and the lions in the three Hebrew children, the, the fiery furnace. You know, those are those stories we know. But tonight I want to tell you and flesh it out, and hopefully you have your Bible and you can read it. I, I want to show you a another story that as I read it and as I I, I kind of let the just the word mull over and percolate, there were some things that began to jump out, and I said, you know what? This is a principle we need to look at. So I, I'm gonna do my best to tell you the story. That way you understand where we're coming from. Solomon, the life of Solomon is amazing and, and, and it's actually sad because Solomon started his life off so incredible and he ended his life so bad. And, and, and it all starts, if you, if you wanted to look at it, you could turn a couple chapters back and you would find exactly where 
it messed up and that's in 1 Kings chapter 11 it says now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh and uh, uh, daughters of Pharaoh and, and Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonians and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel you shall not enter into marriage with them neither shall they with you for surely they will turn you, your heart away after those gods and, and so it was Solomon did great until he went against the word of God. And God was not trying to be some xenophobic, uh, uh, you know, the, the children of Israel are better than everybody else. That's not at all why God had those commandments. Don't be unequally yoked with those unbelievers. It's because God understood that when the heart gets yoked with an unbeliever, very seldom do we are we strong enough to rise above it. When I was growing up, we called it missionary dating. And so for young people around it, you know, uh, uh, you, if, if you're blessed to be raised in the church and hear the truth and be preached, it's okay to have friends, but you need to be very careful with the associations you make in this world. Because if you're not careful, they, and, and I've seen it time and time again, and I've heard it from young people, well, I'm going to date her, I'm going to date him, and, and I'll, I'll win him to the Lord, I'll bring him to church. And invariably, the opposite happens. Solomon shows that, and this is not what I'm preaching about tonight, but Solomon shows the importance of listening to the Word of God. Uh, I, I learned it, you know, the older we get, the more we realize our parents really did know what they were talking about. Anybody a witness in that? Yeah. And you begin to realize, hey, my mom and dad knew what they were talking about when they said, hey, be careful, do this. It's amazing when you begin to look at the Word of God, Jesus knows what He's talking about. I know that's hard to believe, but, you know, He, he kind of... He has it all set. So because of Solomon's failure, because of Solomon's allowing his heart to go, uh, the kingdom was split. When Solomon died, his son uh, Rehoboam became king. But Israel had kind of a, a civil war that happened, and Jeroboam became king as well. And so you know that that Israel's 12, 12 tribes, and uh, Judah, the tribe of Judah, is, is two tribes, it's, it's uh, uh, Judah and, and I believe Ephraim, and then, uh, I believe that's what it is, uh, Judah and Ephraim, and then the, re the other uh, ten tribes is Israel. Basically, all of that north became the northern kingdom, which is Israel, that's what Rehob or, uh, Jeroboam began to rule over. Below that was the southern kingdom, Judah, and that is what uh, uh, Rehoboam, and it's, when you have two names that are very similar, my brain kind of gets them all together. If you begin to look through the history, you'll find that that northern kingdom, for the most part, had a horrid downward spiral. Almost every king that Israel had in that northern kingdom just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Remember King Ahab and Jezebel? That was the northern kingdom. In the lower kingdom, there was some good kings that came, but again, there was a downward spiral. But I want you to look with me, and I apologize, Brother Andy, I didn't give you uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, so I don't, if you don't get it up there, that's fine. But look at verse 25 of 1 Kings chapter 12, if you have it in your Bible. You begin to find that, that Jer or, uh, Jeroboam began to think. Now remember, Solomon had built this incredible temple, and, and now uh, you're no longer having to go to a tent, you're no longer having to go to a tabernacle, and you can go and sacrifice, it's incredible. But now the kingdom is split, and guess which kingdom has the temple? Judah. And so Jeroboam begins to think, and he's got all these people, he's got the larger kingdom, and he says, you know what? 
if, if I let my kingdom go to Judah to worship, they'll, they won't want to come home because they've got this beautiful edifice, this beautiful temple. And so if you look in verse, uh, uh, verse 25 there, 1 Kings chapter 12, you find that Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, lived there. He went out and built Peniel. And he said, uh, and he, he took counsel and he made two calves of gold and he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one of those golden calves in Bethel and the other one he put into Dan. Now, just because when things I read in the Bible, they jump out, does that sound familiar to anybody? A golden calf set up? Go all the way back to the, to the wilderness there around Mount Sinai. Moses is up there hearing the most incredible thing that mankind has ever heard. By the way, he was definitely a techie because he downloaded some incredible things from the cloud and put it on his tablet. And uh, it was just, it was just amazing. It was, you know, just that's why we have what we have now. You can trace it back to Moses, right? But, but when he comes down, he hears this crowd, he hears this ruckus, and there is Aaron. He's built a golden calf, and this is what Aaron said. Now pay close attention. It's still wrong, it's still sin, but this is what Aaron said. Aaron said, we wanted to give you a representation of our God. So Aaron would say, I still worship the true God. Aaron would say, we're still worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We just wanted to see him. And so we, we, we threw all of our gold into the fire, and miraculously this golden calf, you know, walked out. It was amazing. But this is how far, when you start down a road, this is how far you get that now, generations later, you have Jeroboam making two calves and saying, it's your God. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so now you have, probably for the first time, you have a, a true uh, 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 just messing up of what God has planned for them. And he sets it up there. There was a man, and this is where I want to I wanna focus my, my attention. And so I'm going to invite you, to, I'm not going to read it verbatim. I won't, if you have your Bibles, turn there, uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. You can follow along with me. I'll I'll read, paraphrase. I want to paint the story. I want to paint the picture. So you have a man of God, a prophet that comes out of Judah, that southern kingdom, and he comes to Bethel, and there is Jeroboam standing by that golden calf. There is Jeroboam offering sacrifices. He's acting as the high priest. He, he wants to, to uh, you know, kind of show that it's all right. And he's there, and the man begins to cry against the altar by the word of the Lord. This is a prophetic word that goes forth out of the mouth of a prophet that's unnamed here. He says, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, the son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he will sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who makes offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be, shall be torn down, and ashes that are on it shall be poured out. Now, this prophet, I mean, he, he's, in a, he's going against Jeroboam the king. 
Jeroboam gets mad when he hears the voice of God speak. And Jeroboam stretches out his hand and he was going to try to kill that prophet. And God withers that hand and does something to where the Bible says that that, that hand dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar was torn down. The ashes was spilled out. Instantly, the word of God came true. But if you heard earlier, it said that there was some things that in our mindset sound pretty crazy you know human bones are going to be burned on that offering he'll sacrifice on that offering that altar the high priest and we don't kind of think about that but he said there's going to be a a man out of the kingdom of David named Josiah you have to go all the way to 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 15 that's 360 years later 360 years later, uh, Josiah is born. Josiah becomes the king. And I want to read to you what he did in in, uh, 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 15. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. Josiah also burned the Asherah. And when, as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent, and he took the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed which had predicted these things. Again, as a side note, it's not even my message quite yet, but as a side note, even if it takes 360 years, if God said it, it's going to happen. And that's why I love the Bible because you begin to see these things that, that are prophesied and if you don't ever put them together, you just kind of say, oh, well, that was kind of an interesting sermon. No, no, it was a prophetic word that 360 years later came to pass. But here's what, here's what I want to spend a moment. That the, the Jeroboam, his hands all withered or dried up, whatever it is, and he asked that man of God, he said, please, please pray for me, heal me, you know, touch me, that my hand may be restored. The prophet prayed, God restored his hand. And the king said to the man of God, this is verse 7, the king said to the man of God, come home with me, refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And here is what I want you to really pay close attention to. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. So he went another way and did not return the way he came to Bethel. So, so listen here, because we all have to get on this place. We all have to get on the same page so I can bring you to the, the next step of the story. Not only did God have a prophetic word against Jeroboam and the altars and the idolatry that he was in, but God had a prophetic word for that, that priest or that, that prophet. He said, do not stay there. Don't eat of their house. Don't drink water. Don't stay there. Don't even go the same way. You're not to have anything to do with that. Now look at verse 11. Now there was an old prophet. He lived in Bethel. His sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they told him also the words that their father, the words he had spoken to the king. And that this old prophet said, and, and by the way, the, the reason the Bible uses that phrase, old prophet, it's, it's really a, a, a 
insult. Normally you would say a holy prophet, a holy man of God. But there's a reason the Bible uses that, and you'll see here in a moment. And the father said, well, which way did he go? And so they said, well, this is the way he's headed there. And he saddled his donkey, and he mounted, and he went after the man of God, and he found the prophet. So in this story, you're going to have a bad prophet, and you're going to have a good prophet. The good prophet was the one that came and spoke to Jeroboam and, and, and all of that. And then the bad prophet is the one that came and met him under an oak tree resting for his journey. And he said, the old, the, the old prophet said to the prophet, are you the man of God that comes from Judah? He said, I am. He said, well, I want you to come home and eat some bread with me. And that good prophet said, I cannot go home with you. I cannot eat with you. I cannot go in with you. I can't eat bread. I can't drink water in this place. It was told to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way you came this old man stepped back and he adjusted his garments and he said I am also a prophet as you are and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water but that prophet lied and so the good prophet went with the bad prophet and as they're eating at the table God speaks to that bad prophet and that bad prophet begins to prophesy and he cries unto the good prophet that has, you can say he was tricked, you can say he rebelled, however you want to look at it, but he cries to him and he says, because you disobeyed the word of the Lord, you did not keep the command that the Lord your God commanded you and you've come back eating bread, drunk water, uh, then your body shall uh, not go to the tombs of your father and when that, new, that, that good prophet, if you will, he leaves, he gets on his donkey, he, he takes off and he meets a lion in the middle of, 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 the, uh, of the path. The lion kills him and he dies because he did not heed the word of God. Finally, the old man, the old prophet, the bad prophet, uh, somehow figures out. He goes, he finds the lion standing there over this dead body. It's not been eaten or anything of that nature. He takes the man of God and he brings it back to the city. He laid the, the, the prophet, the good prophet, in his own grave. And he tells his son, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. Now, I've got a point. I want to get to this. But let me give you one more side note before I jump to that. And that is, there are far too many people that really have no desire to follow the word of God. But they want to be associated with those that do. And he said, when I die, bury my old sinful bones by the bones of that prophet that I tricked. And, and I read one commentator that said there were two reasons possibly why. One of them is, he, he because uh, uh, remember there was a prophecy that all these bones are going to be burned on the altar and that old prophet didn't want his, burn, his bones burned on the altar. And he figured if I'm laying next to this good prophet, they won't desecrate the grave. And that's one possible answer. The other answer that's probably more closer is he, in his death, he wanted to be associated with the man of God so that maybe when God calls him home, he'll go, you know what, you were lying next to that good prophet. I'll let you come to heaven. And it's a lot of people I've, I've noticed, a lot of people I've seen that they like to associate with the truth. They just don't like to follow the truth. But here's what I want to get at. 
that prophet, the old bad prophet, he said, I also am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me. Now, I don't know if you caught it. I don't know how your brain works. I don't know what you do. But when I was reading this, instantaneously, I heard in my, my mind, not, not an audible voice, but I heard in my mind, Galatians quoted. Because Galatians, and I, I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. And Brother Andy, if you can put that up, I'd appreciate it. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It might be up there in the King James, and that's fine. I want you to see it. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says, I'm astounded that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Again, I would invite you, and I'm not going to do it tonight, I don't, I don't have time, but I'd invite you to go to Hebrews and read a little bit in Hebrews and you would find how fast people were turning from the truth and, and that's what Hebrews is about. But it says they're turning to a different gospel and then he reiterates in verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now here, here's what, as I read 1 Kings, this is what in the back of my mind began to speak and I heard it very clearly. But if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. How many of you have read a verse like that? Or you know, you know that verse is familiar to you. Paul said, I don't care if Gabriel himself comes down and preaches a gospel to you if it is not the gospel that was laid out by Jesus Christ and followed and picked up by these disciples and apostles that walked with Jesus, let that angel be accursed. And, and I don't know what my title is, and I've already told Brother Tom, and he, he always tries to put a title on the website for what I preach. I have no idea the title that I'm preaching, but here's the point. The point is, if God's word says it, we have got to follow it regardless of who tries to pervert it. That's why, this is one of the reasons I am so dogmatic in saying bring your Bible to church, read your Bible, because I I don't ever want to do this. I want you to follow because I told you to follow. As a pastor, I'm not interested in you hearing what I have to say and me standing up and trying to convince you of what God's Word is. I want to help you see God's Word, but at the end of the day, I hope you're reading God's Word, and when I'm preaching, you're going, yep, he's preaching the truth. Yep, he's exactly right. Yep, there it is. My my wife gets on to me because there's a verse in the Bible that, that I always quote wrong. It's just, it's just ingrained. I always quote. It drives her crazy. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I want you to tell me, hey, you know, Brother Buford, you didn't say that verse exactly right. You're not going to offend me. Because I want to make sure when I stand in heaven that I say I preach the word of God exactly as it was. I didn't add to it and I didn't take away. And both of those are wrong. You can read it in the book of, of Revelation. There's some people that add to the word of God. They add to the burden. They add to it. They try to come up with more rules. They try to come up with more regulations. And if you add to the word of God, the Bible says, let him be accursed. But the other danger is when you take it away. God's word doesn't really mean that. It really doesn't matter if you do that. You know, I, I don't think, I, I, don't, I heard, I heard a, a, a very prominent 
And, and, and by the way, I don't ever try to make fun of people or, or, or blast them just for no reason. But if you're going to get on TV in front of millions of people and make dumb statements, I figure since you said it publicly, I can combat it publicly. But I heard a prominent televangelist make the statement. He said that if, if, if Paul knew what we knew now, he wouldn't have wrote some of the things in the epistles. He, he, would have, he wouldn't have really mattered as much with, with some of the marriage things and stuff like that. Friend, that's a false teacher. If Paul was alive right now, he would have been preaching the exact same thing because the Word of God does not vary. The Word of God does not shake. The Word of God is strong and secure, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you see that in 1 Kings chapter 13. You, you see this story unfold where the preacher started right. He had a word from God. And he, you see some great miracles that begin to happen there in the word of God. But unfortunately, he allowed somebody to tell him something just a little different than what the word of God said. And it cost him his life. That's the principle. So I have just a little bit of time. So I want to take it past the principle. And I want to, there's no way I can do it justice and do it all but I think it'd be good to remember some things in God's word that are settled and should never be allowed anyone to come and shake them for us in Exodus chapter 30 you, you find this statement this shall they give everyone that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary a shekel is 20 giras and a half shekel will be an offering to the Lord and basically uh, in, in, in the book of Exodus they did a census everybody came to the Lord and they, they paid if you will they paid a tax to the house of the Lord and it was what helped fund the house of the Lord and they said uh, uh, everyone that comes through every mail you're going to pay half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary because in those days they didn't have perfectly struck minted coins in that day and age coins were mainly tied to weight and so uh, uh, you, you, you had a coin that would have been crudely constructed but they wanted it to be that weight here's the thing if you're going to have something that goes by weight you better have something that is an official weight because it's not enough Just how many of you have ever pumped gas uh, and, and there's a little sticker Every gas tank or gas pump I've ever seen, there's a little sticker. And I don't remember exactly how it is, but one of it, it says uh, something about the Department of Weights and Measures and Balances. And it says, this gas pump has been inspected and it will give the current inspector's name that, that's in, our, in, in Jefferson City. This pump has been inspected to assure you that if it pumps a gallon of gas, it's pumping a gallon of gas. Does anybody, has anybody ever seen those stickers? If you haven't, you're going to notice it now every time you go and pump your gas. Because you would never know as you're pumping gas, you would never know if you're getting 20 gallons or if in reality you're getting 17.3 gallons. It's important to say there is a standard, there is a, 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 a place that we go back and we measure everything by. And the same is still true today. That there is the word of God becomes the standard that everything in my life must be measured back to. Listen to me very carefully. Please, please, please 
Do not measure your life by my words and sermon alone. Measure your life the fact that I preach the word of God and you go to the word of God. I don't measure my life by simply just because of what my parents taught me. But I can say I have measured my life according to my parents because they measured according to the word of God. Does everybody understand where I'm getting at? Have you ever played that telephone game where, where you, you stand in line and somebody whispers something in your ear and then you whisper it to somebody else and if you keep going down the line long enough, invariably the message gets corrupted and what is at the end is nothing like the beginning. That's because it filtered through way too many things. In my life, I don't want to get to heaven and realize that I live my life filtered through too many people and I never went back and examined the word of God in its entirety. That shekel is there. That standard is there. I've already made mention of it, but I'm going to hit just a few of them that I think are so important. And there's a lot more I could come on. But, but it's that standard of, of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. I don't ever want to get away from the fact that there was one God in heaven. And I want to love him with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my might. Isaiah 43 said, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I've declared, I have saved, I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, I am God. Isaiah 44, 6, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God. You know why that's important? Because as long as you realize there is only one God and you realize that this is his word, then you follow it. But if this is the word of just one of the gods out there, then maybe there's another word I need to follow. You with me? That's how people's logic begins to get twisted. That standard of one God. The standard of salvation to realize that I want to live my, my life and base the salvation. To me, salvation of my soul is most important above all else. Today, my wife and I, we were talking, and, and, and it was a, a, a lighthearted conversation, but made mention of something, and, and, and kind of, I, I said, you know, I, I said, I would never do that. And there's a lot of reasons why, and, and I'll, I'll use a sin just to kind of, there's a bunch of reasons why I probably wouldn't do that sin. But you know what the number one reason, Sister Harpo, that I don't want to do that sin? Because I want to go to heaven. I have no desire to go to hell. Have no desire to be there. Salvation in my life is of the utmost importance. And so if I'm going to base my entire life off of my salvation, it only seems to reason that I need to make sure I hear from the voice of God when it comes to my salvation, not the voice of man. And Jesus, his own words, he said in John chapter 3, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promises unto you and to your children, and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to make sure that I don't listen to any other voice, any other angel, any other person. If it doesn't match what the Word of God says, then I'm in trouble. 
that standard, that, that to hear that, that, going back again, the standard of uh, the shekel, uh, that, that standard of the sanctuary. I believe it's important that we realize that there is a, a standard. God speaks highly of separation. Watch Second Chronicles, or Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. For God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It echoes some words spoken by God in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. That phrase, that, that verse was picked up by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I want my life to be far different post-salvation than pre-salvation. I want people to say you're different. I want people to say you don't talk the same way. You don't act the same way. You don't do the same things. Yes, because I'm different. The Lord has saved me. The Lord has put His Spirit inside of me. I am the temple of the living God, and I am coming from among them, and I'm being separate because as God is holy, I want to be holy. And holiness always starts in the heart. Always starts in the heart. And it shows up in our actions, and it shows up in what we say. It shows up in how we respond to situations. And then just to kind of put a few more that, 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 that I think, especially in this day and age, are so important. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. But the, the standard of marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. We're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. We're living in a day and age in which there's a lot of old prophets that rear their head and say, you know, it, I, I, I had an I had a angelic revelation. You know, if Paul was alive today, he wouldn't have that quite dogmatic view of marriage between a man and a woman. Then the schools get involved and the government gets involved. and You start seeing that old prophet rearing its head. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who heard that old prophet and it sounded good. But they're laying in the middle of a street somewhere with a lion standing over them because they forgot that if God said it, He means it. And there is no shadow of turning with Him. Proverbs 6, 16 says, Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination, a proud look, lying tongue, hands, that shed innocent blood. And I, I would just, I, I, don't, I don't say all this very often, but every once in a while I just want to kind of go on record to remind us that God holds life as the utmost importance. And that, you know, for a long time we, we, we've used that verse and, and we've seen it and, and we, 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 we always equate it to things like abortion and I'm 
absolutely against abortion in any stretch of the imagination. But I never dreamed that we would get to the day in which it's not, it's not even abortion that we need to, to see, but it's euthanasia. Never dreamed we'd get to the day where we would put down our elders the way we put down a dog. But it's there. See, that's what the Bible is so beautiful because the Bible saw all of this coming. And I just picked out two kind of hot topics just to kind of get your, your mind going and, and thinking. That the Bible knows what it's talking about. And the Word of God has spoken to you and I, and it's our duty to follow it and not let anybody or even any angel come and mess with it and change it. That's why Joshua, as, as, as the book of Joshua closes and you walk into the book of Judges, and it makes the statement, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance. And also all that generation were gathered unto the fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. That's why Proverbs says you should buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Moms and dads and grandparents elders, it's your responsibility to share this truth and to make sure when you share it, you don't share your opinion only show them in the Bible there's something about when you when you sit down and, and, and you don't say, you know, this is what salvation is, no, no, show them in the Bible this is what holiness is, no, show them in the Bible, show those verses let the word of God speak and don't let any old prophet, don't let any old angel come and say anything different than what this word says. Because if they do, the Bible says, let them be accursed. I want us to stand today. I hope a few things have happened in the last little bit of preaching and teaching. I hope maybe there's a Bible story that you were not very familiar with that now you have more knowledge of. I think that's always important hadn't thought about Rehoboam and Jeroboam very much well now you, you've, you've got one you can go read it and say hey I remember pastor preaching about that but I also want you to see the importance of following the word of God because number one sometimes the promises are 360 years coming but don't think God is you know what is is Thessalonians a believer one of those that says uh, uh, the Lord is not slack or First Peter the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness for since our forefathers fell asleep, men are saying, well, hey, you've been promising that God's coming back, but the world keeps continuing and everything's happening like normal. And my grandparents said the Lord was coming soon and their grandparents said the Lord is coming soon and here we are, 2018, and God hasn't come back. You best not pull back because it might be 360 years in the making. But the Lord's promises are yea and amen. I've not come to preach a negative sermon. I've not come to preach about the, 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 the poor prophet that lost his life because he listened to the old prophet. I've come to preach a positive message that says you can follow the word of God because the word of God is true. I wonder if we could lift our hands and would you just, I think it's always appropriate to thank him for his word and that would be something good right now. Father, oh I love your word. I love everything about it. I don't want to just say I love it but Lord I love studying it. I love reading it. I love it.